Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, I sit down with Dan and Adrian, and we're talking about how to align a leadership team. This is something that's been coming up a lot lately in my conversations with my co- with my coaching clients personally. I brought it to the table uh, a little bit selfishly so that I could be well equipped to help out my clients. This conversation was full of goodness. I don't know that there's a single leadership team that doesn't experience some sort of misalignment at one time or another. It doesn't mean you're good or bad. It just means an opportunity to reconnect and that's how we that's what we talk about in this conversation is how to reestablish that alignment with each other. Also, just so you are aware, for the, about the first 17 minutes of this conversation, we talk very specifically and candidly about the Revenant experience, which is coming up in June in Nashville. So I just wanted to let you know that that goes on for 17 minutes. If you're interested in hearing more about that and Dan and Adrian's approach to that, some behind the scenes stuff I've never heard from them, go ahead and listen to that. If not, feel free to fast forward or skip to minute 17. Here we go. Dan, Adrian, how are you, gentlemen? Great. Good to be here. Alive and above ground. Good. I, I wouldn't expect any other answer from you, Dan. <laughs> I'm counting the days. Uh, hey, we have something special coming up in June that I want to talk about. Um, the Revenant, we've talked about it a couple of times already, but if if somebody hasn't listened to some of our most recent past episodes I just want to make sure we give people another opportunity to hear about what the Revenant is. Um, Adrian, would you mind just talking just for a second about what the Revenant is um, and who it's for? Yeah. I mean, so the Revenant is a four day experience. Um, So we bring together um, really amazing individuals that are, that either are or really want to be up to something that's really meaningful in their life. Meaning, um, sometimes people come into the Revenant and they, they kind of, may, they might like, quote unquote, feel stuck. Um, a lot of times people come in like, then their things are working, uh, especially from an outsider perspective, but there's something missing for them internally. Um, like it's not quite what it could be. And they, they they haven't quite hit what mm-hmm. that is yet for them. Or, um, even, even it was for me when I, when I went through this process, you know, 12 years ago, things were really working. There was some, there was, but there was some historical work, you know, some, some things that have been gone, that had gone on in my past that I really needed to come to grips with and move on through, um, to the other side, break on through, you know? Um, so anyway, people come in with some kind of aim, like want to get something new going on in their lives or their relationships or for themselves or in some kind of results. And a lot of business leaders come through this and it's a four, it's four days really to explore, um, their inner thinking and, and connecting between the head and the heart and the gut, the whole thing of how to presence and create something new in your life through other people with other people and really connect. So if people, if you found yourselves, um, in the midst of transition, a little bit frozen up, there's some kind of relationship that's not working, some, some goals, some commitment you've got, and you've not taken new traction. It's a wonderful workshop to kind of get to the heart of the matter for you. And you do it with others. It's very experiential. It's a very deep conversation. So it's not some place where you come and like sit back as a spectator. You really, you're, you're all, it, it, 
always always invited to come play. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, people, as we talk about it here, I mean, as we did a you know, recent survey, um, 97% of people, when you ask them where it ranks in their life, they, 97% of people said that it was in the top three experiences of their life. So, um, it's the, it's, that's, you know, that's enough for me. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's what it is. It's, it's a boot camp. Yeah. Dan, um, um uh, people can go to, we are, we are revenant.com and, and register there, by the way, uh, Dan, I, you know, I'm always, I feel so lucky. Cause I get a little bit of a, I feel like I get a little bit of a behind the scenes of what goes into the revenant and how you relate to it outside of the room. And that's been such a gift for me in my life. just like hearing you talk about like what's going on for you. We, you know, most people get to see you in this room in your brilliance. You're absolutely brilliant in there. Um, and the ex- you just create this experience for people to really explore who they are, what they're thinking, what's getting in the way, you know, what kind of stories they're making up that are getting in their way, all that sort of stuff. I would, I have a question. I, I want to, I'd love for you to talk about maybe like what's your experience uh, as the trainer, as the lead trainer going into a revenant? Well, I, I wrote the thing because I need it. I mean, that's like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I have a tendency to be a bit of a blockhead and, and in the sense that um, as a leader, I, as a young man, I, my wife used to say every, about every 30 days I have to go, Hey, just to stop you and get your attention. <laughs> Because <laughs> when my head goes down, I was a fullback and a middle linebacker. So that gives you an idea. Right. <laughs> so uh, it keeps me tender and it keeps me aware that there's something bigger going on than what I'm seeing. Um, it provides me an opportunity in real time to demand of myself in ways that, in a, you know, it's very concentrated. Right. I think of it as a gym for leaders and I get to mix it up with leaders that are, you know, get making something happen and it, that puts me on my game it gets me to the edge of my seat it puts me on the tip of my toes and i want to play um i find myself extremely nervous always nervous going in because i never know what's going to come up you know every training's different because everybody is different and you got a different group of people and so i, I that one of the things i love about the work is it's never the same i get to work with adrian and when you're in there, it's great. I'm glad you're going to be in this one. It's going to be exciting. But you've been in filming a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always fun to work with. Adrian, I just like, it's great to work with somebody you love and mm-hmm. respect. And, you know, um, we I think we do this for each other. We just edge each other in ways that makes us go further. And what I, I know I have. I can speak honestly that working with Adrian's pushed me beyond what I imagined I could do. And I like that. And, and I, I really, I want to keep that up. I'll write to the day I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. like when, when it's time to leave, I, I'm all the way to the end. Yeah. So that, that's why I do it. And that's what I like about it. It makes me, I have to show up. I don't get to, there's no, you can't half-ass it in there. There's yeah. no phoning it in. No. no. <laughs> there's no <laughs> calling in on the, on zoom and okay, we're going to have a train now. <laughs> <laughs> so it is quite intense. You know, it's not your normal four day. It's four days. You don't come in for one session and not make the next. It's like you're committed to the full four days. 
and it goes 10, 12 hours a day. We get we start at 10 in the morning, get out around approximately 11 at night. Uh, there are a lot, there are breaks and meals and so on, but but uh, I promise nobody ever falls asleep in my training room. Yeah, it's it's alive. We're engaged. People are connecting, and there's a lot of um, interaction, purposefully purposeful interaction. Adrian, what's going through your mind when you approach it? Um, it was something Dan was saying. I was going to comment on. I can I can pivot to it. When I when I, as I approach it, yeah, I'm always really nervous just because you know. I've got this kind of 80% of myself that's good enough for the rest of the world. You know, if I show up at 80% of Adrian, most people not along every once in a while, somebody's impressed, but usually it's fine. Mm-hmm. And in that room, you know, it's the calling is to be fully present and to, to uh, test my own capacity to test my own limitations or what I think my limitations are. And so when I, when I'm coming in, I'm always very committed to what's going on and what we want. There's, there's an aspect of it. That's there's a, there's a process for us, but the process is always driven by, by what's happening in the room. So I have to be really cognizant and listening and connecting to what wants to happen. And that requires presence and that requires energy. So um, I really have to get all teed up and ready spiritually, even like emotionally and cognitively get really teed up and get ready for that type of workout mm-hmm. um, and then stay present. Even when I don't quite deliver the way I want to be delivering and get back up and go again. And that's why, you know, as Dan was talking, I was thinking about, you know, who else is this an ideal setting for, you know, I was talking to a client yesterday and he was just kind of, he was just saying flippantly, we, we, I was doing a session with him, this offsite. And he was saying, you know, I really relate, you know, I was, his dog was there. He's like, and he just kind of said it. He said, you know, I really love animals really openly with human beings, something very different. And I thought it was really honest to him. It's like, you know, relating to humans, challenging, relating to his dog, easy. And I'm thinking, and, and something you said, Dan, around the way we edge each other, we're pushing each other on. And if you're a leader that really wants to experiment with how deep your impact could be with other people, it's a great environment to do that. If you're a leader that's got a team, especially a new team, or um, a team that's in transition. It's a wonderful environment to bring some people that you're gonna have a shared challenge together. You'll walk out exponentially more connected than if you did some kind of bullshit trust fall type stuff. Or, you know, let's do sticky notes on the board. That kind of stuff's interesting and it's kind of fun. This will change your life. This mm-hmm. will be lifelong memories because you've actually gone through a challenge together. So. Um, yeah, I think about all those types of things. And therefore, because it's that type of opportunity for people, it's really reverent for me. Like it's holy, it's sacred. And people have epiphanies that change the trajectory of their life. And I, I don't take that lightly. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for both of you. I kind of sprung that on you, but I really appreciate I, you explaining it. I, I, I love I love giving people just a peek into the back end of what, what happens here. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no magic. It's just raw relationship. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. It it is. I mean, it's magic. Human relationship is magic when it's authentic and it's spontaneous. And and we're so busy. We're so, I know I am, I'll speak for myself, used to 
not expecting much from others as well as myself, like not too much, some, mm-hmm. but not too much. And in, in that, you know, some people have been offended by how much we expect of them. Like I say in the training, at some point, we're going to get in an argument. Right You're on. going to be arguing for your limitations. I want to be arguing for what's possible. Who do you want to win? And I, that, that puts it in a nutshell for me because we have very specific ways of breaking conversations down in very resourceful and uh, powerful ways with no like shameless, you know, let's get in there and let's see what's there. Let's hug that thing. Yeah. One more question. I, I just thought of it. I was going to move on to our topic, which is um, leadership team alignment today, but I, I have one more question. If either of you were to go through the Revenant again as a participant, how would you approach it? What would you like what to get the most out of it? What would you just, how would you get ready? I I would write down my biggest complaints and I would, because a complaint is a lament. And so I would pay attention to what I'm lamenting over and, and, what is it telling me I want, right? I, uh, the lament is over something I lost or something I long for that I don't have or don't think I can get. And I would be very clear about what that is. And I would come in ready to do whatever it took to see if, what it would take to have that happen, right? Like like what I'd give myself, to, I'd be prepared to give myself to the process, particularly to listen to whatever feedback comes back my way, but mm-hmm. to give myself until I see what I'm committed to show up. And I would pick something very difficult for me, which I do anyway. I do this in the training before I go in. But yeah. something that is really going to, you know, I'm going to know if I fail. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's going to open up the next step. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great place to start. Um, that'll do the trick. Um, I was, my first answer to the question was, I would think about what I really want. And if, you know, ask myself, like, what do I want five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, what is that? Most people don't put themselves through that process um, because of the despair that usually comes up or the challenge that comes up or the, I don't think it's, you know, all the resistance that comes up, but like be willing to really think about what would make my life most meaningful. Um, I would do that. You know, what else came up in the moment was, I would go to the core people that are closest to me and I'd get some feedback from them, you know, maybe asking a question like, Hey, where, where do you see me most alive? Where do you see me most shut down? Or, you know, what, what do you think I'm capable of that I'm not doing? Or what do you hear me complaining about on a regular basis? You know, like that one, like such, which is a way to get to Dan's, but also from the outside, cause that might be a longer list. Or it might be surprising. And they might know it. They might see something you don't. Yeah. That's right. You know, so any kind of that get that's gonna that's gonna generate some meaning. And we naturally throw ourselves at that which is most meaningful. And for most of us, we we've got some view of what's meaningful. You can just watch your life, you're naturally pursuing what's meaningful. Um, but the 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 despair, like the unspoken regret like preset regret comes from what could be meaningful that we haven't been willing to die for or sacrifice for or give ourselves to or become a failure for or to 
um, you know, be a fool for. And that's, you know, if you're going to get max value, that's what you want to throw yourself at for four days. Mm. And, you know, as it relates to today's, I mean, today's topic is perfect because that's what happens in the room. We get the room gets aligned. So this is, it's a perfect lead yeah. to what we're talking about. So. Yeah. It's incredible. The things that I've witnessed in the room, just, just how it even shows up from the beginning. <laughs> Like uh, my, one of my favorites is the one where it, you, we started and there was a gentleman in there that had, it, he had come, he had decided to work in a meaningful way with the, the homeless in LA and showed up in this training with four or five people who used to be homeless. Yeah. Right. They yeah. Were people who came out of the street. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> like a perfect, like who knew that was going to happen? You couldn't even write that. You couldn't you could, make that up. No, you couldn't. That happens and all the time. The feedback that he got was invaluable for what he yeah. said he wanted. Yeah, he said that too. He was blown away. Yep. Incredible. So anyway, that's our very long commercial. Come join us in Nashville. All right, let's, let's dive in. Uh, so I want to talk about leadership team alignment. What are we actually talking about? The reason this topic came up for me um, is, uh, you know, it's yeah, a lot of these topics that I bring up are very selfish because I'm just trying to work through how I want to, you know, help my clients. So thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I have a client. Well, you, it's kind of selfish. We, you do this for nothing. So it's a good thing. <laughs> well, so I have this client and uh, he's got a great team tech company. He's the CEO, founder. He established this software. They are killing it. They can't keep up with the demand. And um, we've been in the work, we've been in the work together for about five weeks, six weeks. And the what the conversation, what our conversations have brought up, have brought up a lot of unhad conversations with his leadership team, um, namely his COO and uh, his CFO, who are also, who also have ownership stake in the business. And, um, and, you know, he starts diving into these conversations and he is surprised at how misaligned they are. Like, and, and I, I, that alone to me is very, very interesting that yes, he felt tension. Yes. He felt like there's conversations they weren't having or things weren't working, but he didn't stop to think that maybe there was no misalignment in what they were committed to. Right. And so now we're in the conversation where he's bringing me into the conversation with his partners so that we can start to create some alignment around what is it that we're committed to here? What are, what are we about? And then that's obviously going to create the synergy that's needed in order to, to accomplish the mission that they're going after. So I wanted to have this conversation because I think it's, it's fascinating to me that they didn't even realize that misalignment was the problem um, or the challenge and what, what we can do, how we can start to align a team in a way that is really, really powerful. Because Dan, like you talked about, like even in the room of, of the Revenant, once that alignment happens, it's like, it is like magic happens. It's like it, they, they can, ah, it's so great. So anyway, I didn't, I don't know what my opening question is for you, but I just want to start there and start getting your thoughts about, um, misalignment among, among leadership teams. Uh, Adrian, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, to relate to what you're saying, I'm not that surprised that they hadn't considered 
or at least were busy acting like they hadn't considered that the issue might be misalignment. Um, you know, because they maybe they hadn't considered it, or maybe they knew that considering it might stir up some trouble they'd rather not talk to. Right, right on. And 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 part of it is this is what hits me, and I the clients come to mind, especially if you've been in a relationship with folks for a while. You said yes. So you're let's say you're five years into a, to a, to an executive team. You all said yes for some certain reasons five years ago. And a lot of life happens in five years. Mm-hmm. And people might be coming at it from a very different perspective, have some very, have some deeply shifted interests. And that's showing up in the real world, right? Some missed results, some attitudinal issues, some stunted conversations. Those are the symptoms, but it might be just, oh, this person actually is in a whole different place now. Like they had a kid, they might've moved, you know, uh, issues going on at home, um, challenges health-wise, challenges psychologically, emotionally, whatever it was going on, but they're in a very different place. And all of us, they are actually a different person because the interests have shifted. And so being naive to those shifts is a pretty good strategy because we might, you know, meaning pretty good meaning like, you know, it's an odd analogy and I don't know if it's going to land at all. Um, But what came to mind when you're talking about that is a lot of teams end up, you ever like, you haven't planned for dinner, and you didn't like go grocery shopping or order whatever people do. We're always ordering Instacart. And so now, now the, the plan is how do we make the best food of the shitty options in the cupboard? <laughs> That's what a lot of leadership teams feel like. Like how do we get the best out of some shitty options? Because we haven't been intentional and had lived in forethought about getting the supplies and the resources and the know-how there already so when it shows up for dinner time we're excited about what we're making instead we just try to be satisfied enough with what we were able to put together so i think a lot of people relate to that it feels like stagnation it feels like people are all over all, all over the place feels like you know tom you know he's kind of he's going through a hard time he'll be back next quarter blah 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 um, or this, you know, Tom's department isn't going as well as it could be, but he's trying the best he can. He's been here. Anyway, we end up doing excuse making or rationalizing conversations we're unwilling to have. So anyway, I, I think the issue that, that you're bringing up is so real for so many folks. We just typically would rather not talk about it, or we think that talking about it is an indication that we've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. When in reality is everybody's in a constant shift, like there's movement happening all, and we can, you know, be in a very different place. I can be, you know, I'm about to get married in a week. You know, I'm going to be at a very, at a very different place a week from now than I am today, only because my responsibility load has shifted officially. Um, so anyway, I think people, uh, especially if there's an, I've gone on for a while here, but I'm just thinking, especially if there's a sense of brotherhood or family, um, if there's like, oh, I know the guy, she knows me, you know, I, you know, I, we know each other and there's like this, um, and that, what we would call naive trust in place. And it might even seem offensive to ask somebody a really core question about what they really want and what, if they really still want to be here. 
um, or how they want to be or what the, you know, anyway, those interest based types of questions. So I think people are in this a lot and most of the time don't slow down to have it. So I'm glad we're having it. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. I, uh, what I heard you say is like, this could be a crafted blind spot for a, a, a number of reasons, but very popularly, uh, something's wrong with us as a team. If we're misaligned, right? There's something wrong with the way we are, or maybe we can't get there or whatever. Dan, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that, um, well, there's a couple of things. I think probably the biggest, what Adrian hit on here, biggest concern is that the single biggest problem in communication really is the illusion that it's actually taking place. And I think that is key. I don't think, you know, like when you think about delivering, a leader comes in, they want to have something happen. They're looking to bring their team together. And the team is diverse, right? The more diverse yeah. the team is, the more potential for conflict there is. Sure. And the idea, I think there's a naivete that because people have joined up and we've told them what they've joined up for and they've got a specific role that they're going to do, et cetera, we I think the tendency is to take for granted that they are operating from the same understanding that I am as a leader. And, and then I'm surprised or I'm blindsided by questions that seem ridiculous or um, unreasonable or out in left field. And, and the reason it seems out, the more ridiculous it seems, the more surprised I am by that kind of communication just indicates how tone deaf I am. And the more I want to put it on the team, the more tone deaf I get, the more alienated I get from any possible alignment. What do you mean by that, Dan? Can you talk about that? Like, what is the, what do you mean by I'm tone deaf? Like I'm not willing to see what's there. I, yeah, I'm, I'm connected to what I want to have happen. I'm not connected to the resource that's going to get it done. I'm not connected to the dispersed, the, dis, the, the, the dispersed nature of, of the, of the um, diversity. So think about this. Natural tensions for one, marketing and sales, mm -hmm. sales and operations, CEO, CFO. I mean, I can go on and on. There's natural tensions. Yeah. And to think that they're all going to go, oh, yeah, we're in, or they're, the same way I want them to be in is, is, you know, and what I usually hear back is, well, they ought to, I'm paying them. Right. You know, what do you think I'm paying them for? You know, it's like, well, yeah, in their mind, they are but they are probably from their agenda, both personal and departmental agendas. And they're going to naturally, what I want to just kind of at a, so we're at a 30,000 foot level, drop down to 15,000 foot level. When somebody says I'm in, they're in, and then they look at their departmental, they have a, they have a, a tendency I've recognized as just when I'm leading a team or chief of staff or whatever, you look out and they see the corporate agenda as their departmental agenda. And then they wonder why you get upset because they fulfilling, they're fulfilling their departmental agenda, but they don't know where to place that in the bigger picture. How does that fit? Yes. And those conversations yes. don't usually happen, but they are, the thing is the signals are always being given. It's like there, there's always there, anything that breaks down started gradually and then broke down all of a sudden. And I didn't see the gradual buildup. There's always feedback happening everywhere. 
Always, always. You know, that's probably the biggest. That, that, that's the good news, really, if you think. Yeah. That, that's the good news. Yeah. Adrian, what is when you think of alignment? This is I mean, you know, this probably would have been a proper first question. What is alignment when we're talking about team alignment? What is it? Yeah. Well, alignment is not an idea. I mean, we talk about it like it's an idea. I would say that alignment is a happening, meaning like it, it is, it's something you can observe. Mm. It's something you can hear. It's something that's palpable. That's like alignment. I mean, we, we, we think about it like conceptually, but we probably to our own demise because we think, oh, we think we're aligned. And I'm sure he's thinking to kind of Dan's point. I'm sure we're all thinking about the same thing here. We want to go make money. We want to go make a difference with clients. We want to go blah, blah, blah. And we always assume that other people's priorities are lined out just like ours are. So alignment, uh, but it, instead what I'm saying here is that alignment is something that's happening. Um, that is something that's trackable. That's measurable. So you watch alignment happen. I mean, we've got some natural kind of fantastical views about what alignment is. Um, but it's good to like check and see if current reality is lining up to what we said would be happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, results in real time always speak of what's, what's true. That's what and, I would say. And there's, um, it's like, like Adrian said, the happening and it's an experience that, that occurs out of a certain relationship, out of a very distinct relationship. And, you know, one of the things that occurred to me when you you had said something, you said, well, I think it was you that said, how, you know, how does your friend prepare for what they, like, they don't come prepared to the meeting. Often. Mm -hmm. I think you said that maybe Adrian did, but you know, how would they know what to prepare for? Right. So usually when people want to prepare for something, they say, well, this is what I want to get done. They don't often say, I wonder what is going on out there that I need to engage to get this done. Have I been paying attention to it? And, and that, to Adrian's point, you and I, we could all three be on the same team. Something breaks down. Let's say we're going to dig a ditch and we got halfway through and we're only a quarter of the way done and we realize we're running out of time. Well, you know, there are a couple of things that occurred. We might think, one of, some of us might think, well, we just need a better shovel. Some of us might think, uh, well, you know, we got to get our heads right and work together. Like we're not, you know, we're, we're wasting Aren't, we're more about feeling comfortable than we are about really getting this done. Yeah. And, and so now you've got a natural conflict. No, it's the shovel. No, actually, it's our attitude. It's our intention. It's no, no, it's the shovel. That's a tension we run into all the time. That, that people want to, when, when shit breaks down, people tend to want to go external and talk about what needs to happen outside of them versus I wonder what I missed. I wonder what I'm missing because what am I really aiming at? What am I, what, what's my real intention here? Did I come to work to get this done or did I come to work to get just to go through some motions so I can get back home to whatever I really want to do? Mm. You know, I, am I here just to look good to get acknowledged or do I really want to get this done even in the face of not being acknowledged? Right. There's, there's a million different, I could break that down in a million different ways, but the point is, if somebody thinks that the key to causing results is in the tool, they're going to keep replacing tools. Mm -hmm. If they think it's in the human, in the way that people are relating to what they're doing, they'll, 
they'll focus on that. And and that's and if they if they're both on the same team, they're going to be arguing about where the locus of cause is. Like, how do we cause this? One's mm. going to argue for tools. One's going to argue for getting our intention clear so we can find the right tool or whatever. And that's going to be an argument. That's going to be resistance in the culture. So I, th- yeah. those are things to pay attention to. And they show yeah. up in all kinds of little conversations that lead up to that big argument. Dan, you're, I think you're, I feel like you're pointing to some of them right now, but maybe explicitly some of the, the ways that you see misalignment manifest on a team. What are some of the symptoms that are recognizable when, when you have a misaligned team? Well, people avoid difficult conversations that are vital to getting the accomplish, accomplishing what they're committed to. They, they look for workarounds rather than having the conversation. Mm. So, so it, you know, I might look up and say, well, I got to get this done. I got to go through Adrian's department. But Adrian, last time I talked to him was a dick to me. So I don't even know if I want to talk to him. You know, It's my and experience so, too. How can I get around it, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should call Ali or maybe I should call you and maybe you could talk to Adrian or maybe you could get it done and I don't have, we don't have to deal with Adrian. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, or, you know, you have somebody that's difficult or, or somebody that's not really up to the same speed as everybody else. And rather than having the conversation about what it's going to take to get them up to speed, we, we just try to band-aid it. You know, maybe we need another layer of management. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. We, we have a, there's, I'm thinking of a team we have that just keeps hiring people on to do the jobs that they're afraid to confront or talk to the people who are supposed to be doing the jobs to do them. And now they've got an executive team of 18 people. Literally, I had a client like that once. And we got it down to nine people. And we we went from $4 million a year with 18 execs to doing $14 million a year with six execs. Hmm. And they thought it was impossible coming out of the box. But, you know, they had convinced themselves because it was so difficult to work together. So. Yeah. I'm thinking about a practical example conversation I'm having with two leaders and both of them um, try not to be too specific here. And they're having troubles internally around results. And right now, and this came up earlier when like whatever, whatever you decide, if it's the shovel or if it's how we're teaming together or not teaming together, the, the, whatever you think it is, whatever you think the source of the solution is, um, whatever you are claiming is the problem is going to be the scapegoat, right? So the, all the excuses or rationale is going to be on what you claim has the power. And for example, with this organization, they've been missing some key results. And right now the story internally is we're trying to get the data. We're trying to get the data so we can make new results happen. We're trying to get the data. And I've been talking to this guy for four weeks about trying to get the data. Now, isn't that interesting? And I said, well, who is it? Who's generating this data? Or what would it take? Like, let's say you had to get the data tomorrow. What would you do? Oh, I'd have to go talk to this person. Well, tell me what you think about that person. And now we've got the real ball game. We're off to the races. We're off to the races, right? Because the, the breakdown is almost always interpersonal. Um, if not always, it's almost always, if not always, interpersonal. Because mm-hmm. the, 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 the trick here or the, the scam that's going on is they get to keep pointing at 
the external thing that's not in place. Instead of saying what's wanted and needed from me to generate the environment in which these results would be happening, instead of keep blaming the thing that's not happening. Yeah. What conversation am I avoiding in order to not have the thing happen? But, you know, we like to keep our scapegoats around. So a lot of the, some indications of some misalignment might be that. Well, yeah. And how do you know if that's going on? There's three things I listen for. Opposing opinions, high stakes, issues that have, you know, a lot to win or lose, and emotional emotions are running strong. If those three things are in place, it's probably a conversation that's needed to align the team. And I'm not really up for it because of the, pot it, the potential danger, in it, and I'm not quite sure how to hit it. And this, there's a guy named, a uh, researcher named Joseph Grenny who did a bunch of research on this. He did like 10 years of research on the health of a team and the health of any relationship and literally showed in the research that you can measure the health of relationships both interpersonally and with teams and organizations by measuring the lag time between when problems are identified and when they actually are discussed and resolved. And the longer the lag time, the less healthy the relationship, the less productive, less meaningful, the more resistant, the, the bigger the toll it takes on the individuals and the team, you know, like that. And so those are, that's really, and it's amazing because when you talk, at least when I talk with my clients so often, the idea that if I wait longer, it'll be easier is such a lie. It's an illusion. The question really is, how do I, what I found, because when somebody says that I get into an inquiry and I, I, every time I found out it's not waiting longer, it's I wish I knew how to talk about this. And if I found that if somebody can see a new way of talking, even if they've had tried to have the conversation, because usually what they'll say is, well, you know, I've got a history. Every time I approach Chad, he gets defensive when I talk about this. So we break it down. And then if they can see a new way to approach it, they can literally see, oh, wow, I never tried that. Then they all of a sudden want to go try it. They want to have the conversation, right? Yes. Because they, they see new possibility. And, and that's really what, what leadership is, is opening that possibility. But most of the time, I don't want to tell Adrian, I don't want to talk to Chad. I don't want, I don't know how to talk to you. Maybe if I wait longer, it'll take care of itself. I don't want to just, you're going to do something for me down the road. I don't want to risk that. I get, you know, it's like there's this milieu of connections that I'm afraid to risk in order to, you know, uh, bring us together in an alignment that will actually move the ball down the field. Yeah. What I hear you, what what I hear you talking about, Dan, or what you what I what I'm hearing you is like one of the antidotes to misalignment is real time feedback. Yes, and listening, like being knowing how to get that feedback because it, it it's how do I engage the conversation to mine out the possibilities, and that that is an interesting thing because it begins with how I listen, and most people don't really. Think about that. It, they, I think when I go to work, it's like, well, I need to know how to, Chad is, so I know how to deal with Chad versus I wonder what I'm making up about Chad that makes it hard for me just to hear him. Mm. I wonder what is wanted and needed so I can understand how he sees it. So I better know how to present what I want to get done and how we can work together. Invite him into a relationship. How do I do that, right? 
there's so many, there's so much history. Well, Chad, he's not going to be open to that because last time I tried that, didn't have, it didn't work, right? There's so many conversations that make me right about not having the conversation. And then later on, when it blows up, I can blame Chad because he was too hard to deal with. But mm-hmm. I, I really only made a couple shots at it. I really didn't know how I approached it. I put, I externalized it on you and that alienated me. And sadly, that often happens in one side, you know, there, there, there becomes this side picking rather than a collective understanding of what would it take for both of us, for us to individually take responsibility for what we want to get done. Time's Bingo. up. Bingo. That was, it's time for my, my uh, enzyme. <laughs> get your enzyme. I thought you were going to say it's time to clean your teeth. <laughs> I, 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 don't have any teeth. I just take them out and clean them. <laughs> No, that's great. You know, it's something that just connects into this, just the conversation I just got off of, which is with a top leader at a, at a very well-known brand. And she's new. She's been there three months. And it's a new uh, position. And she kept doubling down on how new she was and how new it was. And um, what was fascinating was I was talking with her about how to get alignment. And I was listening I mean, it's a brand new first conversation, first time meeting her. So I'm just really getting to know her and what she wants and what she's committed to. And why would she leave this other marquee brand to come over to this other marquee brand? Why would you do that? And to, enter, to leave this, you know, she's worked in big organizations. Now this is a startup. So she ironically has chosen, she chose the, the chaos that she, that she, you know, she signed up for it. Right. Um, one of the, these conversations was, she was saying, she's like, you know, it's going to take a lot of time to build credibility because she'd been at this previous brand for like six years. So now she's been here three months and what an interesting conversation to think about, you know, because she's now using the, I don't have credibility yet to go have a conversation. And I, and I just said, (laughs) well, I, I wonder, I wonder what it takes to build credibility in the moment. You could, you could play your game. Your game is I'm going to wait it out for a year, two years. And then finally, once I've built credibility or even six months to build credibility, then I can finally go after what I want. Um, or how do I show up right now that generates credibility in the other person so I can actually go after and say what I need to say and listen to your point of where the alignment could be, like what's already going on in the organization so that I'm right in step and I can actually influence that because she's called to influence it. That's why they hired her for the job. She's busy waiting um, for when it kind of gets to a certain place so she can finally say what she wants to say. And I said, well, you seem like a very frank person. It seems like what you're trying to do now is not to offend people. And she said, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm, go ahead. But then she described just that, that she's holding back. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because the answer to the question is, uh, how do I create a credibility? And she says it takes a long time because what, what's going to take a long time? It's going to take a long time for me to have enough guts to state what I see is missing in a way that they that I think they're going to be okay with. Yeah. Rather than Because the way to create, and th- th- this is not me speaking again, this, there's all kinds of research around this. You know, we the way to gain credibility is to describe the problem better than the person who's having it. But if I'm afraid of their disapproval, 
then I won't allow myself, or I'm afraid of whatever, I won't allow myself to say what I need to say about what I see is missing. And then I won't have the credibility because they'll experience me walking on eggshells versus going and really focusing on the problem. So my motive is really to preserve myself, not to solve the problem. That's why it takes so long to get credibility because I'm too busy preserving myself and not taking that energy and putting it on the problem. Right. And, and that, that's a really, if you think about it, there's only three things you can do in a breakdown. You're, you're going to either avoid it or you're going to face it and handle it, handle it poorly, or you're going to face it and handle it well. Right? Those are the only three options. So usually people choose the avoid. It takes a long time. So because they're, and they're, I would say they're in, they're authentic about their inauthenticity. Yes, to them, it's going to take a long time to get the other person to, to, to preserve themselves enough to put the, pro, the problem out there. How long does that take? I don't, it could take forever. Right. So, you know, if I, but if I'm really committed to the solving the problem, I state it and I can make it impersonal. It's about the problem. It's not about the person. And isn't there, isn't there credibility building though, as well in the experience of going after it, taking a risk. And even if you're wrong or you fail and you're willing to own that uh, for the sake of like what you guys say you're all about, like there's credibility to be built there too. Yeah. If you're, if you're really about the problem and you take a cut at it and it doesn't quite hit, will you go again? Right. Cause yeah. this problem means a lot. The question is what, what's really my motive internally? Is it to get it handled or is it to preserve myself? You know, am I yes. willing? To, <laughs> Look good, feel good, be right, be in control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and even, even for this person I just got done talking to, I was asking her, like, what's your long term? Do you have a, a medium term plan for this? Or is this a long term plan for you? And, you know, if she actually gets what she wants, which is to manage the P&L um, for this side of the business, she sees herself here for a long time. If she doesn't, it becomes more of a strategic decision. She'll be there for two or three years. What a great combo to have. Mm -hmm. Just to get clear with a team off. Yep. It's, it's like, hey, so here's my preferred way to play. I actually want to over time. Um, which might come over time might be next week over time might be next year, but let's talk about what it takes to manage the PL, the multi-million dollar PL. What is it going to take? Cause that's, that's, what's going to keep me here. That's what's going to be exciting for me. I want to get up in the morning and go do that. I'm, now you might not think I'm ready for that. If so, great. Let's talk about what you think's missing or what you need to see from me. Let's just get a Let's get a game plan together and get a, you know, get a strategy in place in order for me to get there. Cause that's, what's going to make me want to be here for, for two decades. Uh, or oh, Adrian, you, you don't understand how I, what I have to face. <laughs> don't you know that comes back, right? Like you start talking to them like they go, no, you don't understand. I've worked with this person for three years and this is just how they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. So then we get at least most of our conversations get get to the heart of the matter which is are you going to play to win or are you going to play not to lose right. so and you're going to live with the you and you know you know as the person on the field especially ones of high capacity that which which game you're playing and you know mm -hmm. which one is filled with regret and and bullshit and you know which one is filled with fear and vitality right uh, and they're and they're grouped that way it's like vitality comes with fear period because courage is going to be needed or you can go regret and bullshit but either way that's a real choice and you can if you're on the regret and bullshit train you can shift it tomorrow 
um, today. Yeah. Well, I was on yeah. I was on a call two days ago with a group coaching call, and these guys haven't hit their they hadn't hit their numbers for the quarter, and there's a number of reasons why they haven't. You know, there's some, but particularly having the difficult conversation with upper management about how their goals were disseminated. Like, and then, so I asked him, I said, so that was the first one. The second one is the market's moving on. It's changing from, because we're going into recession and we're going into all, you know, it's a different world and all their sales materials are set up for scaling. They can use the same, they can use their product for scaling or they can use it to really help organizations effectively work with the little, with the resources they have. And their resource, their way they're pitching now, the way they're positioned to the clients is for scaling and they know that has to change. So both these come up and I go, great, who do you need to talk to to get this done? Dead silent on both issues. I said, did I say something? <laughs> did I, I mean, fart? What's up? You, well, it was like, you guys, I get, did I miss the problem? They go, oh no, you got the problem. And this, you know, you stated it well, but, you know, we don't know. They're not going to listen. Well, how do you know they're not going to listen? Well, because, you know, we've kind of tried that. You've kind of, what do you mean? You kind of tried that. Well, we, we, we brought it up and it got, got hammered. Who did you bring it up to? When did you bring it up? Uh, you know, well, how did you bring it up? What, who, you know, like, who are we talking? Well, you know, the problem is they don't really want to see that. Okay, good. But, but. What's going to happen in the third and fourth quarter if you don't correct that now? Right. So we just started having those. And I get off the call about an hour and a half, two hours later, I'm talking to one of the lead sales guys who doesn't work, who works with that group. And he says, yeah, man, this guy came over and blah, blah, blah. And I've never heard him talk like that. And he was actually bringing, and he goes, what he brought up is right on. But the problem is we can't get the CEO to listen. I go, well, you got the same disease on you. <laughs> well, it's turtles all the way down. That's right. And he said, he said, well, I go, look, let's say the CEO doesn't listen. Let's say that's true. But no problem. Do you want to be on this? Like, like how, how willing are you to, for the sake of the company to have these conversations for the sake of your own sanity and your own your own well-being as you work for the next four or five, six months. How important is that to you? And how can you, what are the ways you could bring this that might be an invitation for the CEO to pay attention? And that conversation got his interest. He told me, he says to me, well, I'm not into this personal growth stuff. I said, well, that's good. I'm just talking about being effective in leadership. And I go, is it working? He said, no, you're right. It's not working. And I said, so, um, have you thought about how your bias, because you are human, right? You live in a human body. He goes, yeah. I go, do you think you're biased? He goes, well, yeah, I'm human. I said, good. Have you ever questioned your bias? And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I have in other areas. And I said, so now why don't you question your bias about the CEO? And I was, oh, that's good. I, I, I guess because I don't want to risk it. I'm too comfortable up until now. He used those words I didn't put in his mouth, right? He goes, up until now, and then we laughed, we chuckled. And then we talked about how to present it or invite the CEO into the inquiry, which set him off pretty excited about having the conversation, which is back to my point that 
if we're doing our job, we are opening as leaders, opening possibility where people see none in a way that compels them to take action because they really do care about the goal. It means something to them. Mm. Well, we're, we're running out of time and this is rich. And there's like, I could think of 15 other avenues that I want to go down on this conversation. So there's going to be future conversations coming out of the page of notes that I took in this conversation. Uh, final thoughts, um, any invitations also for leaders, if they suspect that misalignment might be one of the challenges that they're experiencing in their leadership team, just love to hear any, any wrap up stuff from you guys. Well, if you think there might be misalignment, it's probably worse than you think. So (laughs) that's the first thing is you always bring the good news, man. If you think there is, it's worse than you think. So, and now, and and then you got some choices. You can keep it up and do the thing and wait, and it's going to get better later, which is a risky bet. Or you can ask yourself, what am I paid here to do? And a leader's paid to solve problems. Um, At the end of the day, Uh, love lots of things. And, and, so your, your job is to do that. And that's not enough because that's been your job for a while. So you might ask yourself, what, you know, how is this affecting me? If I keep putting this off, how will I be more affected? Or is, there any, is, it, is it worth it to go in and explore? Because you might find that you've been, you've been imagining the misalignment and you might be more aligned than you, you might be pleasantly surprised. Um, and so like a lot of times, like when a team is disconnected, their disconnection is the first and kind of fresh environment of connection. Like if you could talk about it, like talking about how disconnected we are t- typically, ironically, uh, counterintuitively generates connection. Something new happens because all of a sudden we're aligned in our, in our frustration about our misalignment. Oh, great. Oh, we all want the same thing again. Oh, good. Okay, now we got a fresh thing to talk about. So, um, I mean, that's what first comes to mind is like, just take some stock and, and, and really get real with yourself. Second is, um, this is the stuff that nobody gets trained to do. You know, even if you got an MBA at Wharton or whatever, they didn't say, hey, here's how to have these conversations in a way that works for the people. Um, or they might have thrown a formula your way as this is how to have the difficult conversation, but they didn't, but it's much more complex than that internally for us. It's like much more complicated. So if you need help, we're here to help. Um, and I promise you a conversation is going to feel, it's going to be very inviting on the back end. So we'd love to support folks and please don't wait, get after it. That's great. Thanks, Adrian. Anything to add, Dan? Yeah, just um, the, I would say that the, that silence kills and that the predictor of success is whether people can actually hold these specifically challenging conversations that are relevant to the outcome of their work and the enjoyment of their of what they're doing together and that if you're a leader and you see that people aren't able or aren't willing to have those conversations and you don't and you feel like you don't know how to you, you don't get what it's going to take to do that. That if that if you focus on that area alone, you will you will quadruple your effectiveness with a lot less, like very little effort. That, 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 that's where instead of you having to do it for them, that's where they learn to do it for themselves. Mm. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been great. Thank you, man. Yep. 
All right. Bye bye, everybody. my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.